On this thought of freedom, freedom does require responsibility. And for it to be true freedom, you have to allow for the fact that there are those who are free to be irresponsible. And this Tuesday, I assure you, I know the names and faces of many people in southern Washington County who will be extremely irresponsible with explosives. I, I don't understand it. it um, people who may fear ordinary things, but you give them gum powder wrapped up and packaged in all sorts of precarious uh, ways, uh, questionable materials, uh, and, and they, they will set it on fire and make it explode. And it is, I, I, and every 4th of July, I marvel and I give thanks to God that I have all the fingers on my hands. Because it's a wonder I made it through all those years being irresponsible with fireworks. Stay out of the emergency room, folks, unless you work there. Uh, just, just give a care. And yet, that still doesn't frighten me as it should. But I'm going to tell you this. Preaching this word out of Revelation 16 makes me nervous. And I'm not just saying that. It, it, it makes me nervous because it can come to us as a word that sounds like what we rather glibly call hellfire and brimstone. One of those toe-stomping sermons. Anybody who preaches hell and damnation as if it's some sort of outdoor sport needs to rethink their call to preaching. Uh, it can only be done with care. It must be handled carefully. Because when we preach a word, when we say a word that talks about God's justice, judgment, and His wrath, that can spring back on us immediately. Now, I hope you understand why I'm nervous. So we go into this word with care. Will you pray with me? Father, my prayer is at first a prayer for me as the speaker and the preacher of these words, that I will handle them carefully, that there is a warning here that needs to be heard. And Father, I pray that you would be with all of us as the hearers of this word, that it compels us not to guilt, not to apathy, not to unprocessed emotion that leads to nothing, but Father, I pray that this leads us to action, that it leads us to doing, that it leads us to repentance, and that we will be faithful witnesses to the great love that you have and the great justice that you have, which comes to us as wrath, because you hate evil and sin and how it destroys and damages people's lives. How it disturbs your good creation. This is my prayer in the name of Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. So Revelation 16 <clears throat> says, I heard a mighty voice from the temple in heaven saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. And so the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. 
And horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. And then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And it became like the blood of a corpse. And everything in the sea died. And then the third angel poured out his blood on the rivers and the springs. And they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all the water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments, since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, God, the Almighty, your judgments are just and true. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins. They did not turn to God and give Him glory. Well, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. And his subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds. They did not turn to God. And then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up. It dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies towards the west towards Rome, without any hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. Now these are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief Blessed then are all those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they'll not have to walk around naked and be ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the temple in heaven saying, It's finished! And then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed. And a great earthquake struck. It was the worst since people were placed on the earth. And the great city of Babylon split into three sections. The cities of many nations were reduced to heaps of rubble. And so God remembered all of Babylon's sins. And He made Babylon drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath, and every island disappeared. All the mountains were leveled. And there was a terrible hailstorm. Hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto people below. But the people cursed God because of the terrible plague of hailstorms. I'm trying to read that so that you follow the fact that there's some, some sort of narrative to this whole thing. 
Because we can get caught up in the details and we can get to worrying about those frogs that are jumping out and deceiving people and turning that into whatever you want. And that whole image is an image that says that this false trinity, the dragon and the beast and the other beast, they're just leading people astray, leading people into a war that they cannot win. Which is why it's called Armageddon. Sometime on your own, just look up Armageddon in 2 Kings. It's a, it's a futile war. It's a fool's war. The cycle of seven and the seven bowls of wrath is what ought to catch our attention. And the, and the response of the people to it. We said last week that John was sampling Exodus you know, as if he was taking a beat or a lyric or two out of Exodus and then putting it into his own work. Well, now he has that, but now he's going to lay a track of Leviticus over it as well. Okay, Because he's bringing in imagery from Leviticus. This, this imagery of the temple in heaven is open. Leviticus is one of the... That's, what, that's a poorly named book of the Bible. Okay, And I can say that because that's not the name in Leviticus. All right? Um, so if you think I'm, I'm disrespecting the Bible, don't, don't worry about it. Um, it's called Leviticus because it has to do with the things that the Levites are supposed to do. But the opening line of Leviticus says, God calls out from the temple. Doesn't translate well into English, but that's basically what it's saying. Here's God inside his holy temple, inside his tabernacle, and he's shouting to the people out there, and he says, this is what you need to do if you're going to approach me. Because His holiness and His justice and His righteousness is so pure, is so perfect, that the sin and the evil that clings to us could cause us to be destroyed. The book of Leviticus is, a, is like a manual that says, be very careful when operating God's holy machinery. And so here now, the temple in heaven, God calls out from it. He sends His priests out, these angels who are dressed in, in, in heavenly garments, but they're, they're garments that resemble the garments of priests. And they're taking out these bowls, and it may very well be the kind of bowls that, 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 that you take out of the temple because things have been sacrificed on the altar, and there's, there's ash, and there's waste. There's all those things that are thrown out, and they may be taking this out and they're pouring it on the earth, and it's a symbol of God's wrath that he's wanting to get rid of. But the wrath poured out is always poured out on a targeted area. It's deliberate. And by deliberate, I mean that it's careful. Notice that the first uh, three bowls of wrath, it's poured out on the earth, on those who wear the mark of the beast. John was warning earlier, do not accept that mark of the beast. Don't participate in that evil. Because it is targeting you for God's wrath. Do not participate in something that can destroy you like that. It's poured into the sea. It's poured into the rivers. It's turned into blood. And then we're told that this is just because they ran blood into the streets killing innocents now they're going to have to drink that blood are you saying they're going to have to drink that blood literally no this is revelation 
It means that there are consequences for killing the innocent. You can't just go on as if it's not going to demand something. Then the wrath of God is poured out on the sun. Fire is the consequence of that. A scorching heat. And once again, the judgment of God is declared as just. And then it's the next two that are interesting. Because the throne of the beast himself, even that authority cannot escape the wrath of God. Now we hear the throne of the beast and we think, well, that sounds like some sort of fairy tale fantasy thing. This would be the office of supreme power on earth at the time of Rome. God is saying that his authority to deliver that justice, that warning, that wrath, outranks the mightiest power on earth. What that means for us as America and Americans is we must always understand that no matter how powerful we think of our own nation and our own responsibility as government we must always stand beneath the authority of god to do otherwise is dangerous and then that river is dried up and this time the river is the target of the wrath not to turn it into blood or to create some sort of exodus like plague but basically to take down a barrier Because the mighty power of Rome feared invasion from the east. And once that river goes away, there's no more protection. And finally, it's all done. And when it's all done, the just warning of God, which is called fair and just by the voices in heaven, remember, they poured out the blood of your people and your prophets, and so you gave them blood to drink. It is a poetic justice. There's a consequence here. And when that final bowl of wrath is poured into the air, heaven breaks loose, the lightning, the hail. It's fantastic. The earthquakes, everything is is shaken. All of creation, every level of it, the air, the water, the land. It's all shaken down to its its foundations. But it's a warning. And what is astonishing about it is that the people who are being struck by all this, their cities are being torn apart. The very forces of the air are against them. They're being pummeled by these hailstones. And they do the same thing that they did in some of the earlier plagues. They curse God. It's a warning, and yet they still refuse it. This is what we're meant to see. We're meant to see that, um, and you, by the way, you, you'll find that in 1609, 1611, 1621, how stubborn the people are because they are more invested in themselves and their own way. They're invested in the ways of evil. It, they are invested in something that is dangerous, and they have brought it into their world. And they're cursing God because he's trying to warn them of that. When we hear about the wrath of God, it's our tendency to want to um, hear this wrath as, um, as God being mad and angry. 
And I think the wrath of God is something that is quickly becoming something of a fairy tale. It's becoming a fairy tale not only for people who question or disbelieve God's ways or question Christianity, but even within Christianity itself, we run the risk of turning the wrath of God into a fairy tale. Because we don't like to think that God's going to get angry. We want to talk about His love. We want to talk about His joy. We want to talk about His happiness. And hey, I'll confess, as a preacher, I'd much rather talk about that. And I'll tell you why I would talk about that. Because it's great. Not because it makes me happier or makes my life easier or anything like that. No, sometimes when you talk about the love of God, it can be intimidating. And it can be hard to talk about the grace and the mercy of God and what that means for me because my love doesn't match the kind of love that God has. Oh, I can talk about the love of God and I can tell each and every one of you how much I love you. And guess what? Here's the truth. God loves you far more than I do. Oh, yeah. You probably knew that already. But it's true. Because God is love. I am not. And I need God's love as much as you do. So it can be tough to talk about the love of God, too. But I'm afraid that the reason why the wrath of God is becoming something of a fairy tale is because we, we have sort of a um, we have sort of a candy stick VBS uh, view of the wrath of God. You know, we have devil puppets at VBS, and, you know, I, if your kids are still in counseling for that, then, you know, just God bless them. Don't worry. They'll, one day they'll be using the devil puppet themselves to, to scare a new generation. But, uh, you know, we've got to do something. We've got to break it down to explain these little things right and wrong. We've got to have some of that. But there comes a time that we grow up beyond that, that we hear these stories and we understand, okay, these stories are meant to point us to a greater truth. But it'd be one thing if you could blame all the bad stuff on the devil. And John has talked about a dragon and two beasts. And it'd be great if we could put all that on them. But it's actually the wrath of God that's going to deal with the problem of the dragon and the two beasts. And that can make us a little nervous. Because we don't expect God to be that wrathful. Just as our version of love pales in comparison to God's love, our version of wrath pales when it comes to what God's wrath really is. It's not that you take whatever we feel and intensify it. No. You have to perfect it. And honestly, we shouldn't begin with our own experience as the definition that our love should be defined by God's love, and our wrath should be defined by God's wrath. I was talking to Ted Knight about his years as a judge. And people can see, a, they, they can disagree with a judge's judgment. And a judge could even, at time, be wrong. That's why we have review and appeals. But the judge cannot make it personal. The judge cannot make it vengeful or petty because there is a higher standard god himself is the higher standard of his own justice 
When we think of our wrath, our wrath is selfish, it's uncontrolled, it's irrational. Our wrath usually begins and it, and it shows itself when we're cut off in traffic. Oh, yeah. And we start writing poetry uh, and speaking in tongues. We learn sign language very quickly. Um, you know, and then we talk about it to others. Why, well, if I ever find that person, what I'm going to do to them? And anytime we get crossed, anytime we get done wrong, we're going to take someone out back. We're going to deal with it. That redneck version of wrath is nothing, nothing like the just and right, the fair and true wrath of God. Because God hates evil. He hates sin. Not because it wears the wrong jersey. Not because sin and evil did something to him. It's because he knows how dangerous and destructive it is and how much it tears apart his good creation. Take a look with me real quickly at Romans 2. In Romans chapter 2, you have a definition of wrath that I think we need to pay more attention to. Because the second that we think that the wrath of God is the, uh, the angry, reactionary emotions of the great sky bully, as I've heard some describe it, that's not what it is at all. The wrath of God is a response to the stubbornness of people who will not repent. What people are those? You, me, all of us. He's just named those who uh, abandon God's ways for their own passions. You see that in chapter 1, verse 24. God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desires. In verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their passions are leading them. Their own self-deluded thinking is leading them. They think they know better than God. They think that whatever they feel must be right because it's what they want. And so God shows His wrath by giving them what they want. He allows them to take on the destruction that's inherent in that. The the Bible talks about those who... uh, I'm going to use my own translation of it. Those who, uh, who hug burning coals. You know, they, 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 they embrace uh, hot coals. And then they wonder, why am I getting burned? Well, it, it happens. You, there are consequences to these things. Uh, and as soon as we start thinking, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why it's tough to preach this. Because at any point as I'm preaching this, I know there's this temptation, and I fight it too, to say, you know, it's those people out there, those people who aren't in here, those people out there who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who believe these things, who are, who are not making America what it ought to be. It's those people who need to repent and hear this. As soon as you find yourself on that road, I need you to turn around and I need you to look back. Okay? 
Why do I say that? Because of chapter 2. You, Romans chapter 2, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. The problem that those people out there have is the same problem that we people in here have. We get, and I'm going to tell you, and we've got one danger that some of those people don't have is that we get to dress our own desires and our own deluded thinking up in religious garments. And then we, get, then we embrace it. Well, it's our own self-righteousness. But we won't call it that. And yet God is saying that is as dangerous as any sin. And it will hurt you. And that's why he hates it. That's why he lets us have it. I don't mean lets us have it in anger. He lets us have what we're so eager to have so that maybe it will burn us and we will turn to him. Romans, Paul says in Romans, when you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Now, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's always different for us. Those are famous last words. Kids, don't set off these fireworks like this and hold it in your hand. You know, well, you're doing it. Yeah, I'm different. Okay, just just when that happens on Tuesday, wake up. Okay, and pay attention. God is waiting to allow us to suffer some of the pain of this sin, because when he eradicates evil, it's going to take away everything it touches. That first bowl of wrath is poured out on those who have accepted the mark of the beast. God's intent is to eradicate evil, but he's going to give us time to get past it. The tragedy at the end of chapter 16 is that after seven bowls of wrath, there are those who are still cursing God... In verse 11, they're gnawing their own tongue out rather than giving God praise and repenting. God's wrath is not just unbridled anger or selfish anger like you and I experience. It is His passion to see what is right. And it is combined with His righteous hatred for all evil because of the destruction and the harm that it causes. And one of the reasons why I'm so nervous about preaching texts like this is, is because as we get ready to stand and sing here in a moment, maybe you think, oh yes, now I feel guilty, I need to do something. Well, if all you do is feel guilty, that's not it. Self-indulgent guilt can become our, our, our own passion, our own desire. We can beat ourselves up forever thinking that in that way we atone ourselves before God. That's not what God's after. God's not wanting them to curse him or curse them or, or continue in that guilt. He's calling for repentance. Now, 
That's a church word, and I want to make sure we understand what it means. It simply means change. It means be different. It means turn away. You turn away from evil, you turn to God. God is unleashing this wrath on the earth so that these people will turn back to Him. There's dangerous things out there that you and I embrace and live with. Growing up on a farm, there were dangers out there that wasn't just, it wasn't just by our own doing. I remember the day that after we uh, moved out there, and we, we, my sister and I had a swing set right outside our, uh, our, our parents' bedroom. And my sister was on the teeter-totter swing, and I, I can remember seeing it from my mother's perspective. And she yelled at my sister, and she said, Get off that swing right now and get in this house. Of course, my sister thinks she's, she's, she's getting it. She did something wrong. The reason why my mother was so demanding with her is because there was a huge copperhead underneath that swing. My sister didn't see it. Danger can be that close to us, and sometimes God has to holler at us to get us to wake up. And if you're worried about the fate of that snake, don't worry, don't worry. I mean, that's some, some, some of us will be more concerned about that. Sheriff Grandpa, he, he dispatched it to its final reward. Anyway... David Strain, a preacher in Mississippi, tells the story of a woman named Catherine Rawlins. And for 30 years, she had her favorite flower vase. It's one that she found when she was a child. And it was so beautiful, and it would sit there on her uh, table. And she would invite people over in this little flower vase uh, that she had unearthed in the streets of London uh, would decorate her table. She finally found out that what it was was unexploded ordnance from World War I. And that at any moment, that beautiful little flower vase could have destroyed people in her home. Do you see what I'm saying? We sometimes embrace sin. We invite it in to the playground like a copperhead. We put it on our table like unexploded ordnance. Do I have to name them all? Because I'm not going to be able to name it all. Boy, some of us have been talking about pornography Oh, and it's benign, you know. Ah, it's harmless. As long as you and the missus agree that it's not a problem, eh, so what? Eh, it's, you know, it's the sin that doesn't really hurt anybody. Okay. It's dangerous. It's a plague. It will infect you. Do I want you to feel guilty? No, I want you to Repent. I want you to join me in turning away, repenting. Somebody will say, you know, lying. I mean, lying, it all depends on the circumstances. Sometimes people can't handle the truth. Mm -hmm. Get in the habit of that. It's destructive. It's damaging. It'll tear you up. Do I want you to feel guilty? No, I want you to repent. I want you to join me in turning away from it. See, here's the thing. I, I can preach about all these things. Self-righteousness, malicious talk, gossip. Legalism is something that is dangerous. We can be legalistic and insist on details, and we never bring people to holiness. And then we have generations of young people who say, I can't buy into God. Why? Because they've equated God with a bunch of fussy rules. It's dangerous. 
And we need to repent. And if what you hear me today is saying, well, wait a second, are you saying that you're repenting too, preacher? That you're not perfect? I was about to use language I shouldn't. Uh, Yes, that's what I'm saying. Because I don't ever want you to hear me having authority to preach because of my perfection. That is a sin as well. The authority comes from the justice and the righteousness of God. And I am as accountable to that as anybody. And I don't even want you to hear me hearing, you know, are you mad at us? Are you upset with us? No, I'm, I want to I follow God just as you do, and I want to warn others. And by the way, we'll leave here today and we'll think we've been warned. But what about all those out there who haven't been warned? How are they going to hear? I guess what I'm saying is, I know how much I need to be redeemed and how much I need to be cleansed. And I imagine you find yourself there too. So why don't we all go to God and repent? And that means change. Change. Be changed. Because the holiness of God is something so special. Something so incredible. And that His love is combined with a desire to see the, hatred, the, the evil that destroys and corrupts be eradicated from all creation. Now, I'm never going to say that every bad thing that happens to us or as individuals or even the bad things that happen to us as people, I'm ne- you're never going to hear me say that that is absolutely God's wrath every time. I'm not going to be that person that says, hey, bad things are happening to you. What's God trying to teach you? Because I don't know what bad things are happening to you. And I can't speak for God to say that he's causing that or not. But you, like me, can look at what's going on in your world and you can say, do I need to open my eyes? Do I need to wake up and stop being so careless? Do I need to see that there's danger around me? Do I need to run away from the coiled snake? Do I need to get rid of the unexploded ordinance that I've decorated and invited into my life? Not acting with guilt. But only if that guilt leads to repentance, means turning to God. Because God will rescue. God saves. As we stand up together now, you know what needs to be done. I'll give you a few options. There's elders here willing to pray for you. You just turn to people around you while you're in this song and just say, I need to pray with you. Go back here to this, this room that's got pews in it. And there's, there's elders there who will pray with you. But just repent. And uh, as we all sing this song, we can make our confession to God. Let's stand up. Let's sing together.